very familiar verse. I must confess, a verse I don't think I've ever preached on before. I was um, looking was it yesterday, and the first time I actually preached in the church here was uh, in 1993. That's, that's not yesterday. So that was, that was a while ago. But I was just looking over my messages, etc. And it's a message I've never actually preached on at all. So um, I trust in the Lord will, will bless his word as I come to bring the word this evening. There's something I always try to keep in mind. When it comes to preaching, uh, a brother in the Lord, oh, many years ago, right way back then, uh, gave to me some advice. And I, I wrote it down. I have it put in a, a frame and I put it in the house in my, in my study. When you come to preaching, he said, ask the Lord to, to give you three things. Simplicity. And I have this in a little frame. Lord, grant me to preach with simplicity, as this may be someone's first time hearing the gospel. Then, Lord, grant me the grace to preach with solemnity, as this may be someone's last time hearing the gospel. And then, Lord, grant to me sincerity, because this could be my last time preaching the gospel. And I always seek to keep that in mind. And I always ask the Lord to grant that. Throughout the word of God, there are various subjects that are highlighted and emphasized. For instance, we are brought continually and constantly to think about the brevity of life. Right from Genesis through to Revelation. Time and time again, it's underscored, it's highlighted, it's brought before our attention that life is brief. It's a lesson, isn't it, that we need to be taught time and time and time again. And so the Holy Spirit speaks to us in divine mercy and warns us that time, our time upon earth, it is short. What is it? What is life? In the light of the great eternity. It is just a blink. It is so short. Time is short. I must admit and confess I really do enjoy speaking to boys and girls and taking the holiday Bible clubs, vacation Bible schools, etc. Children's meetings. And oftentimes you use what's what we would call the visually, the, you would employ the object lesson. Uh, I remember very fondly uh, in our church in Lisburn, W.P. Moore, that great godly old saint, now in glory, Mr. Moore coming to Lisburn. There I was just as a young convert, and he took out this old shoe, and he held it up. And what he said, I've never forgot, it was absolutely powerful. How he spoke with passion about the shoe and all the lessons in the shoe. It has a soul, it's got eyes, it has a tongue and all the, the great lessons and it speaks about our walk. And oftentimes we'll use in children's ministry the object lesson. And of course we get that from scripture. The Holy Spirit uses the object lesson. You see, in teaching children, we want to use something that will really, they'll be able to visualize and grasp and really lay hold upon the truth. And so the Holy Spirit brings before us great object lessons. For instance, in the book of Job, 
there are a number of object lessons. I'm just going to mention them, not going to, to, to look at them. Um, I think I've maybe mentioned it before in the past, but for instance, life is depicted as being a shuttle. Uh, in Job chapter 7, verse 6, our days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. That shuttle, the old process of the shuttle there upon the loom and weaving the thread, going backwards and forth, the shuttle at great speed would travel the other side and then back and then forward and then back. And the Lord says, that shuttle is just like life. It's so brief. It's so short. Then life depicted as being as a shadow. And of course we know that the, the shadows, they soon flee away when the sun is set. They are no more. And it's just a picture of life. Life depicted as being as a shift cutting across the waters. In Psalm 102, our lives are depicted and displayed and illustrated. An object lesson the Holy Spirit uses, the Lord uses. Our lives are compared to smoke. You think of that smoke, whether it's from the fire or from the chimney. The wind will catch it and will carry it away. It is no more. And the Lord said, that's just like your life. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then it vanisheth away. Then in Psalm 90, verse 9, we have what, well, Psalm 90, in Psalm 90, we have really what I would describe as being a remarkable prayer. Not all the Psalms were written by the sweet Psalmist David. Psalm 90 is certainly one of the Psalms that was written by Moses, the servant of the Lord. Some commentators also believe that Psalm 91 was also penned by Moses. But here, Psalm 90 would have the title, a prayer of Moses, a man of God. And so Psalm 90 is really, it's a prayer of Moses. That's what it is. And in verse 12, Moses prayed, So teach us, Lord, teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And though they were traveling through the wilderness, and there were funerals, burials, on a daily basis, people were dying, they were surrounded by death. And yet the reality is this, Moses had to pray, Lord, teach us about life. Teach us about the brevity of life. How short life is. And in that psalm, that prayer, he spoke of the fact that we spend our years as a tale that it's told life, our life. As an object lesson, the Holy Spirit compares it to a story. Now, I'm at the stage now with the grandchildren. Some of them are up, but uh, Samuel is now, well, he's heading towards the two-year-old mark in the summertime here, but he's at the stage he loves books, loves you to read them. But you, you soon find that whenever you, you get the book up and you begin the storybook, and he, he loves to turn the pages, the last, the lines are read, the pages are finished. The book is closed. And the story is ended. And the Lord says, it's just like your life and mine. Every day, as it were, the story has been written. But one day, the final verses in the final chapter will be penned. And life will be over. Life is short. There is the brevity of life. There's also the reality of death. That is constantly brought before us. As we're reminded in scripture. The reality that we must all needs die. 
We're all facing death. It is appointed unto men once to die. Also, another great truth that is highlighted, emphasized time and time again, not just the brevity of life, the reality of death, but the certainty of eternity. We are traveling. We are traveling through this world, through this life. We are headed somewhere. The word of God tells us very clearly that we're headed toward eternity. And of course, the word of God makes it very clear that there are only two destinations in eternity. Heaven for the redeemed. And hell, eternal punishment for those not saved. There's no intermediary state. And so from Proverbs chapter 27, I want us to consider this verse. In the light of these great truths that the word of God emphasizes. And tonight I want us to think of how the Lord warns us about these truths. But from Proverbs 27 verse 1 I want us to consider three warnings. Three warnings from God. First of all I want you to consider here that there is a warning about pride. We read here in Proverbs chapter 27 verse 1, boast not. Just those two words, boast not. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ told the parable of the Pharisee and the publican going up into the temple to pray. To really speak and to address the matter of self-righteousness and pride. And there he spoke about how the Pharisee went up into the temple and he went in oh so boastful, so filled with his own pride and self-worth. And there as he went into the temple, he went right to the front of the temple and it says and he stood and he prayed thus with himself. He's a man who's going in filled with pride, who lifts and pumps out, as it were, the, the chest. And he's going before God, just filled with his own self-worth. And he, he looks down on others. I thank God that I'm not as other men are. I'm not as this man. I'm not a, a publican, a tax collector. I fast twice in a week. I give my tithe, his money. I do this, I do that. How many people there are like that man in the Pharisee in our country tonight? How many? Sadly, how many? Filled with pride. Can I say that man needs to take, we all need to take the sinner's place. You're never going to be in heaven. You're ever going to know the grace of God and be saved and be there in glory. You must take the sinner's place. And humble yourself. Now that of course is something that cuts against the grain. We don't like to acknowledge that. We don't like to confess that. Remember knocking on a door one day, doing door-to-door outreach in Lisbon. It was a lovely house and I began the conversation with the lady. It seemed to go quite well until 
Uh, she asked me the question. She said, well, how can I help you? What are you called for? And I said, can I ask you if you're saved? How dare you ask me such a question? Well, I knew by her response that meant, no, I'm not. <laughs> and what she was implying was, who do you think you are to come to my door and question my relationship with God and my standing before God? Who do you think you are? Do you not have to, can you not look around you? And see that I'm a respectable person, a good person? Sir James Simpson was the man who discovered chloroform. Chloroform was a colorless, or should I say is a colorless, odorless, tasted, tasteless liquid that was used very widely and extensively as an anesthetic, putting people to sleep. When he was on his deathbed, what proved to be his deathbed, he had a protracted illness. Uh, he had a number of visitors. One of them was a young man. He came to the scientist. He wanted to ask the scientist, Sir James, what was his greatest discovery? He thought, I can't wait to ask. And so he said, Sir James, can I ask you, of all your discoveries, which two class has been the greatest? He paused and then he thought about it. He said, young man, the greatest discovery I've ever made took place Christmas Day, 1861. That day I discovered that I was a sinner. That day I discovered that Jesus Christ was the only Savior. That day I discovered the pearl of great price. And he was saved by the grace of God. That, of course, is the greatest discovery any man can make. How many people there are, sadly and tragically, not only in this country, but throughout the world, who are full of their own self-importance, of their own good works, they have this view, this thought in mind. I don't know, there are many people like this. They seem to think that, well, it's not as though they're going to deny there is a God, but they say, well, if there's a God, well, at the end of the day, after I live my life, I'm not, I'm not such a bad person. I'm not like one of the people you work with. I'm not a drug addict. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't committed some great sin or crime. And that somehow they have a mind that the Lord's going to take out this great big set of scales and he's going to weigh their good works and their bad works on the scales. And that because of what they've done, the, the good works will out-tip the bad. That is actually the reasoning of quite a few people in this country. That's the way they view God. I've heard people actually say, when I get before God, I'm going to tell him this and I'm going to tell him that. Salvation is not what we do. Salvation is not what we don't do. Salvation is resting on what Christ has done in his finished work. Many times the Lord Jesus Christ, he specifically singled out the religious sect of the Pharisees. He upbraided them for their hypocrisy, for their erroneous teaching. They were filled with self-righteousness. You think of that time, the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus Christ there, he spoke to the people on the hillside. And he said that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
call them a generation of vipers. Those who would be blind leaders of the blind. We read about that in Matthew chapter 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Let them alone, they be blind, leaders of the blind. But enough, the Lord was saying, that you're blind and you're sinning, you're filled with your own pride, but you're leading others into darkness with you. The Lord Jesus spoke very clearly to them. God hates pride. God is opposed to pride. The word of God, therefore, has a lot to say about pride. Here in Proverbs 27, verse 1, Boast not! Man, it's nothing to boast in. We are sinners, transgressors of the law of God. We have fallen short of God's glory. God's standard is perfection. That's God's standard. And we've fallen short of God's glory. We cannot make that standard. We have nothing to boast about. Let me just highlight a few Highlight a few verses for you, please, in the book of Proverbs about pride. Proverbs chapter 8, for instance. The words of, let me just see here, verse 13. The law of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. But he has pride. He hates it. What about Proverbs 13? The words of verse 10. Here's a verse that we would do well to underline, to underscore. Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride. Why is that? Because there's something that nature within us. I'm right. You're wrong. No, but I'm. And only by pride comes contention. God hates pride. And here in Proverbs 27 verse 1, we have a warning about Pride. But moving along, can I say there's also here in Proverbs 27 verse 1, there's a warning about procrastination. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Now to procrastinate means to put off something, something, put off doing it simply for the sake of not doing it. It means to put off doing something by a person, maybe because they find it boring, unpleasant, they have no real excuse as why not to do it. They just simply put it off, they, and they put it off, and maybe they put it off. They procrastinate. Now, when we think about the free offer of the gospel that is extended to men and women, 
that the whosoever will may come, that though we have fallen short of God's glory, praise God there came one, the Lord Jesus Christ. The law of God demands perfection. He lived a perfect life. He kept the law of God perfectly. He did no sin. And there he went to the cross and died, the just for the unjust, the holy for the unholy. Why? To reconcile us, to bring us to God. And so the gospel is freely extended. Man or woman, young person, tonight, you can know God's forgiveness. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And yet man in his nature, his fallen nature, man in his rebellion rejects God and casts off the offer of God's mercy. Turn with me please if you want to turn the passage. It's Luke chapter 14 and here we have the parable of the, the marriage supper. And the, the servant been sent out at even time, Matthew chapter 14. And here we read in verse 16, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, bade many, sent the servant at supper time to say to them, Or bidden, Come, for all things are not ready. Come, come to the marriage. Come and eat, come and partake. Oh, it's a, a picture of the free offer of the gospel. Men and women. Who are perishing in sin. Come to Christ. Have your sins forgiven. No eternal life. And what happened? Verse 18. And they all with one consent. Began to make. Excuse. The first one said. Unto him I have bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. I pray they have me excused. Well. I don't know too many people who would buy ground without knowing what they're buying. It could be a number of acres square at the bottom of a lake. The next said, I have bought five yoke of ox and I go to prove them. I pray they have me excuse. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And what we find here is that these individuals that they procrastinated, they, they put off simply because they didn't have any value. There is nothing more important in this world. Nothing is more important than the salvation of your precious soul. Because your soul and mine is going to live forever and forever and forever in eternity. The question is where? Do you know the Lord? We are to lay hold upon eternal life. We are to call upon the Lord to seek him while he may be found. Praise God, tonight we live in a day of grace. Praise the Lord for the free offer of the gospel. What a privilege it is to hear the gospel presented. To hear your need, that you need to be saved. That you need to come to Christ. There only is one way. Through Jesus Christ. Through his work, through his life, through his death, through his blood. And yet, men and women still procrastinate. I've often thought, that great day when men and women will stand before the Lord 
And the question you will hear if you die unsaved, what have you done with my son? Received him? Rejected him? You see, it can't be neutral. You might say, well, I haven't rejected him. Neutral you cannot be. A warning against procrastination. Putting off for the sake of it. But here, in closing, there's a final warning, this third warning. And it's a warning about presumption. A warning against pride. Boast not. Procrastination. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. A warning against presumption. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Or how many people there are. And they presume that tomorrow they will still have an opportunity to call upon God. They presume they're still going to be alive. They presume that things will remain the same, that the status quo will be the same. In Luke chapter 12, we read how the rich fool, he presumed that he would build bigger and greater barns the next day. And we read about that in Luke chapter 12. He thought to himself, I'm going to do this, that, and other. He had plans about what he was going to do. Maybe you're thinking of my life in front of me. I've got plans for my life. You're presuming. God sent to a man, thy fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. This very night. Only the Lord can truly call a man a fool. Remember hearing the story years ago about a, a man who wore a, a sign on his front and one of those vests, uh, like a scripture vest, which simply said in the front of it, I'm a fool for Christ. And people laughed at him, mocked him. But when he walked by, they seen the back, who's fool are you? You presume it's going to be the same. Remember the time that Felix stood before Paul and he heard the preaching? Felix, sir, was confronted with his knee. The Bible says that his knees trembled. Felix heard about righteousness, temperance, judgment to come. He was confronted. He needed to be saved. And he said, Paul, when I have a more convenient time, I'll call for thee. He presumed he would have another opportunity. We never read about him being converted, being saved. What about you? Where do you stand tonight? We have life, breath within our bodies. But God has given us that very breath. Why? That we might know him. Him to know his life eternal. That we might glorify him. That we might worship and adore him. That we might use our breath. To speak forth his lovely name. Oh, I trust and pray if you're not a Christian. You're not saved. That you won't boast yourself of tomorrow. 
We do not know what a day will bring forth. Oh, the wisest thing that you can do is to place your life, I, your soul, your all, into the hands of the eternal God. Give your life to Christ, the greatest, the wisest decision, thing to do that any person could ever make, to call upon the Lord. Let's just bow together.